Great to see you all. Several years ago, I woke up, this is before we had any staff, and, and Beth and I were the only staff the church had. I woke up with laryngitis. I couldn't make a peep on a Sunday morning. I turned to her and I said, you're going to have to go lead service and preach this morning. I can't even make a sound. And so she preached for, for us that, that, that Sunday morning. And it took me about six months to wrestle the church away from her after that. <laughs> And so we don't let her stand up and talk much because it's, it's just too risky. So you were here on a rare occasion to hear my wife speak. You know, we just don't let them do it. Um, this is the last week of this uh, very important series we've been on called This I Believe. We've been talking about the essentials of the Christian faith. You want to know what a Christian believes? We've been rehearsing those things. And today, of course, we want to talk about God's global plan and we'll get to that in just a moment. One of our practices during this series has been to recite the Apostles' Creed together. And we're going to do that in just a moment. The Apostles' Creed has been around for uh, over 17 centuries. Every tribe and tradition within Christianity acknowledges the doctrinal and theological assertions of this creed as valid and foundational, fundamental to what we believe. So as we recite this creed, understand its his- historic significance and and its fundamental quality as the place we stand in the things we believe as Christians. So as you're able, could I invite you to stand, and we will do the Apostles' Creed, and then I'll read our text this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Are you ready? Let's do this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now from the New Testament letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace, see the word grace, that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave of themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And may God inspire and enlighten us today through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. There are two great things in Christianity. How many of you have heard me say that sentence before? There are two great things in Christianity. What I'm about to say next, you should be able to finish my sentence. If you've been here more than three months, you should be able to finish my next sentences. If you cannot finish the next sentences I'm about to say, please start paying attention. It would be just so helpful. Pay pay attention. Here's the first sentence. There are two great things in Christianity. The first is the great commandment, the great commandment. The great commandment is love God and love your neighbor. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. That's the great commandment. The second great thing in Christianity is the great commission. We find a handful of times in the New Testament, Gospels, this iterated from Jesus He's the one who offered this commission, this mandate, and it's very simple. Go into all the world, the whole world, 
every people, every tribe, every language, every nation, go into whole, the whole world and preach the gospel, make disciples. So there's a great commandment to love God, love your neighbor, and a great commission to take the hopeful, wonderful, glad, good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the peoples of the world and make followers of Jesus. If you are a Christian person and you find yourself a little dazed or confused or disoriented or, or just unsure of, of what, is, uh, what is next in your life, you're just lost. Refer to these two great things. I promise you, as I stand here today, that if, if in a moment of uncertainty in your life, if you just remind yourself of the two great things, in this moment, this is what I know God asks me to do, to love him with all of my heart, love my neighbor as myself, and to help people find Jesus. If you engage yourself at any stage or season of your life in these two great things, I promise you, you will not only find your way back to God's will for your life, but you'll be in the center of his purposes and destiny for your life as well. Two great things in Christianity. Any questions? I will say this again soon. And when I do, you'll be ready to finish the sentence. I want to... uh, mention to you that God has a plan for the world. And in order for us to be part of that plan, that great plan, we have to be sensitive to these two great things. And today I want to talk about this commission just for a minute. Um, God's global plan is that he wants to bless all of the nations of the world with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the world was lost and undone and hopeless just like you were and I was. And without that hope found in Jesus Christ, and he made a way for us and actually offered his very own life to satisfy the penalty of our sins. And if we trust in God's amazing gift of grace, not our own efforts, works, abilities, performance, but if we trust in the grace, the gift of God given to us in the finished work, finished work and merits of Jesus Christ, then we too can be forgiven of our sins and made right with God. This is the gospel. This is the way to peace with God. This is how we interact with God. This is the Christian message. All of the other, all of the other religions in the world, you can name them, have about them a sense of oughtness. I ought to perform better. I ought to do better. I ought to follow the rules. I hope that when, at the end of my life that somehow the scales have tipped, that I've, I've, I've outweighed my, my weaknesses and failures with the good things I've done and that somehow God will accept me into his, into his heaven or his paradise. That, that's the message of every religion in the world. Christianity is unique and distinctive for this reason, the subject of grace. Grace is the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. It is for By grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, lest any man should boast. And so grace is the distinctive quality of what we believe as Christians. And thank God for his grace, amazing grace, accepting grace, merciful grace that has extended to us his love. And so we return that love by loving him with all of our heart and loving our neighbors as ourselves and being willing to give our lives to take this glorious gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we have before us this opportunity. Can I encourage you with this today? Here's here's another way of saying it. Rather than saying this great commandment, why don't we call it a great love story? A, a, A great love. You know, we use this in our vernacular, don't we? Theirs was was a a truly great love story, a a world-class love affair. And we romanticize that and we imagine that for ourselves. And this is exactly what God's done for us. So maybe we would rename it the love of God and this great love affair. I want to tell you something this weekend that I've never said out loud. I've been following Jesus now for 52 years. People ask me occasionally to talk about prayer and talk about my own prayer life to, because they're curious to know how I communicate with God, and and I'm happy to talk about that. This part of it, though, I've never described in quite this way. 
Several years ago, Jesus, who by the way is described in the scripture as a friend who sticks closer than a brother, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I don't have a natural brother. I have two sisters. I had a really, really close friend, and he's in heaven. He was really too good to live down here in the dirt with us, and so Jesus has him with himself. I get it. So I lost my very best friend. I have good friends, many wonderful friends, many of you in this room. So I'm not without friends. But Jesus said that he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And one day, Jesus initiated conversation with me. He said, why are you neglecting our friendship? That's, what I, that's the phrase I heard. He said it in such a way that he was requiring an answer. Why are you, why are you neglecting our friendship? And I thought about it for a moment, and I said, because I'm angry with you. And all of us have reason from time to time in our lives to be confused, upset, disappointed, angry with God. Why me? Why this? Why now? You know, name your story. All of us have the story, right? And this was in particular reference with the, the health journey that my wife has been on for a number of years. My wife, Beth, who just stood before you, she, there is no earthly reason why she should be here. She should be dead. She had, a, she had a cancer pathology diagnosis 33 years ago that said, you may live five years, 10 if you're lucky. 33 years ago. And then seven years ago, she beat it again. She's too ornery for some disease to be tolerated. Well, I was upset about that and for other reasons. I'm neglecting our friendship because I'm, I'm angry with you. And Jesus lovingly and carefully told me that it was okay for me to have the feelings I have and that it would be more authentic of me to engage in our friendship with my concerns rather than to neglect it. In other words, he said, why don't you grow up, be an adult, and act like one, you know, authentic, sincere, vulnerable. And it changed my paradigm the way I communicate with God. When people ask me now, how's your prayer life, I, uh, my confession is I really don't have what you would describe as a classic prayer life. I have a friend, his name is Jesus, and I talk to him all the time. The only thing that I have not experienced in my friendship with Jesus is I have not seen, laid my eyes on him, I've never seen him, and I've never touched him physically. But our relationship is a friendship closer than a brother. And so I guess you could call that prayer when I have conversation with Jesus. I've had conversation with him today. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know me. They follow me. I've walked with Jesus for 52 years. I, I recognize his voice. So I converse with Jesus. Oh, you're one of those people who hear voices. Yes. <laughs> I knew it. Too bad for you. My invitation is, to engage in a relationship with Jesus. Love him. Don't just be like in his religion. That's, that's nothing. It goes nowhere. This is why Christians get accused and rightly accused for being dull and sad and angry. These are the words that we hear in our culture today when Christianity is brought up. Of course, there's a there is a, an obvious and willful 
choosing being made in our own culture, in the Western cultures of the world, to turn our back on Christian values and on the things we believe as Christians in the world and to impugn our faith and to impugn the notion that Jesus is any more important than anyone else in history. And of course, it, it uh, shoves us into a place. But some of the criticism is well-founded. Christians, Christians don't seem to be happy. Why would I want to be a Christian? Just, they seem to be sour and sad all the time. And I wonder about the same things. And this leads me to the second point. Whether if we, we think about the great commandment as a love story and an intimacy with God, and we think about the great commission as a great adventure and a fun-filled, faith-filled, risk-taking life that has about it this adventure and sense of wonder so that when we see the hand of God in meaningful, tangible ways, even miraculous ways, we can go, man, that is so exciting. Look, look at God. You go, you go, man. That's the way you live your life. So we have people, we have people who are sad and they're joyless and they're boring. And we have other Christians who seem to be fun and excited and filled with adventure and hope. And I want to be the latter, don't you? I want to be among that company. That's the way I want to live. That's the way I want to be. That's the way I want to lead. That's, what, that's the life I want. Jesus promised us that we can have an abundant life if we follow him. And I want to have that life. And I know you do too. Now, let me talk about this particular thing. You have a, a faith promise card close to you. You might, if you have one close, you might just grab it and hang on to it. Let me describe how we fund all of these great commission initiatives that we do here at Union Chapel. We do it through a program called Faith Promise. We have two funds at Union Chapel. We have a general fund that keeps the lights on, hires the staff, does all of our local programming, and, and that's, um, that's the general fund. We have all of these other local and extra-local Great Commission strategic mission strategies and tactics that we engage and fund and support in all kinds of other ways. It's a very important part of who we are and what we do. And we fund all of those local and extra local mission initiatives, great commission initiatives through Faith Promise. So we have a general fund and that, that handles local stuff uh, here on campus. And we have a Faith Promise fund that does all of our outreach locally and, and globally, all of our church planting initiatives, etc. And that's through Faith Promise. What I want to do is explain, because I know there are lots of new people here in our church right now, and this may be your first exposure to this whole idea. Look on the screen with me, and let me just try to define what faith promise is. Faith promise is simply faith in God to provide an amount of money followed by a promise. There's just two steps. (laughs) Faith to believe God to provide enough money so that you can contribute to the mission fund and the promise to give it. If God supplies it, you promise, I'll give it. Paul called this the grace of giving in our text today in 2 Corinthians. Grace is always a provision of something we don't have. It's unearned, it's undeserved, it's a gift. The gift of salvation comes to us because of God's grace. You're saved by grace. Every good, every positive, every redemptive thing that happens in your life and through your life, everything from A to Z, top to bottom, beginning to end, happens because of God's grace. If you ever do another good thing in your life, it's because of God's grace. So we're dependent utterly dependent on the grace of God, the favor of God, this gift of God. So a faith promise, last sentence in that paragraph, that's an offering and a commitment to give what we trust God to provide. So you have faith and a promise. You say, God, I want to exercise my faith. I want to live this adventurous, hopeful life that Pastor Greg's talking about, this joyful life. I want to get out of the the dull parts of Christian life which too many of us get captured by, and I want to live an adventuresome life. And so I want to exercise my faith. This is the only way you can do it. 
And then remember, I'll remind you, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. If you're a person who's been justified, you're a Christian person, the just, that's you, describing you and me, the just shall, doesn't say maybe, might, could, it says shall. The just people who follow Jesus shall live by faith. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, without faith, it is impossible, not improbable, not happen sometimes, but it is impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You want to be a God pleaser? Then walk by faith. Exercise your faith. Take some risks. Step out there. Years ago, I, uh, I recommended that Union Chapel start tithing our income to missions. Take 10% of all the money that comes in over the course of the year and give it away to missions. Everyone in the church at the time said, we can't do that. Why not? Well, we're poor, we're pitiful, we can't afford it. I said, it's not about your poverty. It's about God's provision. And if, if we promise to do it, God will supply it. No, that, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Yes, it does. And so, and so folks said, well, well, we'll put it in the budget, but it won't come in and we'll teach you because you're young and stupid. You don't know what you're doing. We've been here for 100 years. We know how it works. And so I said, great, humor me in my stupidity. And so they put it in the budget and promised that it wouldn't come in. Of course, it came in in the first three months. And we started becoming a tithing church. And then it was, hey, how about this? Uh, Union Chapel at one point was on a four-point circuit. That means that there were four little churches all tied together and they could combine their resources so they could afford to pay the pastor. And then there were two churches and then, and then I said, Union Chapel should just try to pay, pay me all by ourselves. We need to break away from the other church and go on our own because God's given us purpose and mission. We got, we got to get on it, on it. And I, listen, the response to we should become a station church, that was the vernacular, and 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 afford to pay the pastor all by ourselves. You, you would have thought that I took your favorite pet dog out back, chained it to a tree, and beat it with a club. <laughs> That's outrageous. We can't do that. It's not possible. Well... That's how I led, and that's what we did. Then it was leave our building, which was paid for and perfectly fine. I said, we have to leave this building and go to Delta High School and meet there because we're on a mission for God, and we can't reach more people in this little building. We need more room. And then it got really crazy because for some reason or another, the people, the people of God struggle with walking by faith. But that's, but that's what we do. That's how we stay on the edge. This is how we live under an open heaven. This is what we do to posture ourselves to receive the blessing of God, the favor of God, the flow of God. This is what, this is what does it. As soon as we go like this, this is what stops up the blessing of God and flow of God. So you live like this. Let me ask you this question. This is not a trick question. All, this is an open book test. I'm going to give you the answer with the question. You'll know the answer. So it's not a trick question. Just go with me, okay? If you only had $3, if you only had $3, what is the most that you could potentially give? If you only have $3, how much could you potentially give if you wanted to give to something? $3 is the answer. Good. Well done. You only have three bucks. I've only got three dollars. And so there's something you're passionate about that you want to get behind, you want to support, and you know it takes money to do it, and you've got three dollars, then you say, all I can give is three bucks. That's reasonable, isn't it? That's a rational approach. But let me just offer this first point that we learned from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Watch, watch this. It's an offering supplied by God's grace. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. They gave as much as they were able. They had three bucks and gave that. And even beyond their ability. Now, wait a minute. How, do you, how, are you, how can you possibly give if you don't have it? This is why when you read this passage, you can almost feel the Apostle Paul going, 
This, this even surprised me, but look, listen to what happened. This is amazing. Listen to this story. There, were, there was no kingdom strategy for giving like this until the apostle Paul tried it with the Macedonian churches. This is like groundbreaking. This is historic stuff. This is like milestone historical references now for us. Paul said, look, the Macedonians, they were suffering. There was a, there was a uh, inflation was going crazy and the, the economy was uncertain and they were suffering. And so they had limited funds. They had limited needs, but they found about, out about the needs of folks in another region. And so they took up an offering. They gave not only the three bucks they had, but, they, but he says they gave beyond their ability. And so we're left to go, well, how the heck can you do that? How's that possible? I only have three bucks to give. How can I give, how can I give more? Well, apparently the Macedonians figured it out. And so Paul concludes that verse. You can put it back on the screen. And he said, see that you also excel in the grace. This is the phrase he uses, the grace of giving. Apparently there's something, something special, some kind of kingdom mystery revealed now in the phrase, the grace of giving. Apparently in the grace of giving, you're able to give more than you even have according to your ability and beyond your ability. This is fascinating, isn't it? This is interesting. And so grace, we learn, is favor and sufficiency that God gives to help us not only to meet our needs, but to also assist us in our own insufficiencies. You know, I just don't have any more to give. If I did, God knows. If I did, I'd give it. If I, if I had it, God knows. Lord, if you, if you help me get a new job or increase my income or give me some special blessing, I promise I will give it to extend the cause of the kingdom of God. This is valuable to me. And apparently there is such a thing as the grace of giving. Let me explain to you how the grace of giving, giving can manifest in your life. If you look on the screen, here's one way that it happens. The grace of new opportunity. Watch this. Sometimes God gives special grace through new opportunities. So over the years, I've observed people doing this. They'll, they'll take overtime. They'll say, God, I know that uh, I can work into my schedule because I believe so much in the mission activities of our local church, and I want to be supportive of that. I, I can work some overtime. And I promise the extra money that comes in, I'll give, I'll give to ex- expand the borders of the kingdom. You can do that. You can do moonlining, get a side hustle, or you can increase, you know, find increased business profits that you didn't anticipate. Wow, gosh, our, 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 our growth, you know, surprised me, and now we have extra. So that's the grace of a new opportunity. Here's a second category. There's grace in the category of discipline. Often God gives people special grace to actually make changes in their lifestyle, their disciplines, their practices, so that more money could be made available. And actually, all of us operate on this principle when we deny ourselves, we've all done this in our life, deny ourselves certain things in order to be able to acquire another thing that is of higher value. It's like that deferred gratification. I'm going to save my money that I've been spending on this thing that's more frivolous to me in order to purchase or acquire this other thing make this other investment that is of higher value to me. And so I practice the discipline necessary to get from where I am to where I want to go. And, and so this, this, is, this can be easily applied. Uh, maybe you stop at Starbucks two or three times a week. And that's something that, that is just part of your routine, part of your budget and so forth. Well, how about this? How about instead of three times a week, you just go two times a week? And the five bucks or so you save every week, you can, you can just say, that's my faith promise. And at the end of the year, you will have given $250 to the work of God's mission here and there and around the world. There's a third area of grace, and this is a grace in the, uh, with the unusual. Sometimes God supplies his grace in unusual ways. In response to prayer, God still does the spectacular and the unexpected and the miraculous. Years ago, one of the, one of the ways that I led us is to, was to buy this, this property that we're on right now. 
uh, those of you who are new or just been here a few years, this uh, formerly was a car dealership. This was McCoy Ford. It was owned by a, name by the name, a man by the name of Ted Clark. And, and, and Ted leased the property to McCoy Ford until McCoy Ford went up the road and built a new place and left Ted Clark holding this facility. It was just building one and 14 acres. This building wasn't here at the time. So it was about um, 14 acres and, um, and all that square footage over there in building one. And it was dilapidated, the roof leaked, the windows were busted out, there were volunteer trees growing up in the middle of the parking lot, it had been sitting vacant for two or three years, it was a, it was a deplorable mess. And the property taxes were, were eating up Ted, Ted's, uh, Ted's budget, and he was a motivated seller, and no one was making any offers. And so we came along, and we toured this place one day, and it was just so, it was so depressing, so horrible, I just think... This, thank you, God, that you wouldn't ask me to buy this place. What a mess. Well, the next thing I know, I'm hearing God say, you need to go buy that car lot. I said, you go buy it. That thing's a mess. That thing's horrible. Can't make a church out of that. I can do whatever you want, but, <laughs> but I'm telling you to go buy it. Well, so we made an offer. We made an offer to Ted Clark that was so insulting that he should have kicked us out of the room. You know, it had been appraised and there was value placed on the 14 acres and, you know, several thousand square feet of, of structure. And we made him an offer that was embarrassing. I said, I'm embarrassed. Too bad. This is the offer. He accepted it. Then we said to Ted, listen, Ted, uh, we don't have any money. I mean, literally. I mean, just the, fr the first year I pastored this church, our annual budget was $19,000. That was the annual budget. And so this is just a handful of years later. And so now we, we're talking to Ted Clark, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and, and I said to Ted, uh, how about, will you take $50,000, and then you personally loan us the rest, and we'll pay you back? with this half of the current interest rate? And he said, okay. You will? <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, you need to take a second so that we're going we're to go to the bank and ask for another million dollars so we can get renovations started. So when the church implodes, and we, we might, <laughs> you'll be the last one paid. He said, good. <laughs> this, these are miracles. This, this, is, this is God's grace doing the unusual. This is unusual. We reno renovated building one, and Ted had retired, and he moved to Florida. He came back, and he called and asked if he could take a tour of the building. He, he was understandably curious to see what we'd done with it. And you can see what we do with these buildings. They're, they're amazing, spectacular. We figured it out, and, and I gave Ted a tour, and then we went into my office and sat down, and we were just chatting. And we'd already paid him back, you know, and everything was, we were all settled up with him. We did that very quickly. And, and Ted said, I'm going to tell you something that I've never told anyone. Uh, Ted's deceased now. Ted said, I have three sisters. All of them are Catholic nuns, all three of them. She said, he said, every time I'm with my sisters, they say to me, Brother Ted, because Ted was, he's a rough old boy. You know, he, you know just leather, leathery, rough, gruff, matter of, you know, just a, he's a tough businessman. You know, he was, he was not a cupcake. And so Ted's sitting there and he, and he, and he said, every time I'm with my sisters, and now his voice began to crack. I don't imagine he had cried in front of anyone, especially another man, maybe in his life. He said, every time I'm with my sisters, they say, Brother Ted, we, we, we're praying for you. And we're praying that somehow, some way, God will use you to make his church better. And now Ted is 
got tears running down his face and he's choking. And he finally chokes out as he was kind of gazing around my office and imagining the rest of the facility. And he said, I think this is the answer to my sister's prayers. And I said, I think you're right. Sometimes God's grace is in the unusual. We hired a local architect who wasn't a Christian person by his own testimony, but a responsible professional, and we had to kind of figure it out. How do you make a church into a car lot, car dealership? And so we imagined the spaces and the different uses of them, and so we had blueprints drawn up, and then we were informed by the architect, and I was in a hurry, if you can imagine. I was in a hurry, and he said to us, these blueprints, now that they're all written and and prepared, they have to be sent to the state for approval. And what he said, what will happen, because this always happens, without exception this happens, we will send these blueprints to the state and, and the corrections will be made. They'll send them back. We have to make the corrections and redesign a certain space or area. We'll send it back. They'll check that and then something else will go wrong and they'll send it back and this will take several weeks or even months maybe up to three months until we get final approval before we can start construction. And I said, no, we have to start construction right now. He said, he looked at me, you know, with that, with that look that I've gotten many, 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 many times in my life. You know, it's that, that condescending thing where people are going to want to pat my hand or pat me on the head. Now, now, pastor. And he gave me that look and he said, well, this is the way it will be. He put those plans, those blueprints in the snail mail from his office on a Friday afternoon. And the mail picked them up. Now there's Saturday, Sunday, and the next week. The following Friday, seven days later, they arrive snail mail back to his office, totally approved. <laughs> totally approved. Stamp of approval. It freaked him out. <laughs> the fear of God came on him. He'd never been in church. He'd never come to this church. That was on a Friday. He called me, and he was stunned. He said, I, 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 don't, he said, I, I can't believe this. This has never happened. He said, and then he, he, over the phone, he said to me, what is going on with you? <laughs> and I said, God's what's going on. Two days later on Sunday, he was in church, sitting there. <laughs> wondering what was going to happen next. Sometimes the grace of God is in the unusual. And that's a couple of stories among thousands of stories that I could tell you as a result of stepping out in faith and watching God provide and fulfill his promises. I was driving down the road one, one day and there was a there was a billboard, this was in another town, a, a billboard that a bank had put up, and it says, we promise performance. You know, so-and-so bank, we promise performance. And as soon as I saw that, God said, yeah, that bank promises performance, but he said, I perform my promises. Oh. And he does. This is pretty good, isn't it? So sometimes in life you don't have it, you can't do it, can't supply it, can't achieve it, but by God's grace, he makes provision. So what do you do when you want to give and you don't have the personal resources to do it? Paul would say that you should view it as an opportunity for God's grace to intervene and to supply your need, even beyond your ability. So here's what faith promises. Here's your assignment. You take this home. You talk to Jesus, your friend, Jesus, about it. Lord, I know how much my, I, can, I can anticipate generally my income next year. I, I have a, an idea what my budget is, and all of you should be working on a budget, that sort of thing. And, and, and so I know what I can contribute to the church. But this, the pastor said, this is over and above that. So, Lord, give me a number. Reveal to me an amount that you will provide for me. 
And by faith, I will trust you to provide it. And when you provide it to me, I promise I'll give it. I promise I'll give it. Faith, promise. As I mentioned, we have two categories, two accounts. We have a general fund. We have a faith promise fund. We have about 1,000 people who give, giving units to the general budget at Union Chapel. There's an 80-20 rule that happens in a lot of nonprofits and especially in churches, and the, and the, and the, the old adage is the 80-20 rule, which is 20% of the people give 80% of the money, 20% of the people do 80% of the volunteering. And so what I can tell you about, about our two funds, our general fund and our faith promise funds, this year we have 1,000 people or so who contribute to the general fund. We only have 200 people giving units who contribute to faith promise, to our mission. Let me show you the list of things that we support. The first thing is the 99 Network. This is a new organization that we founded to plant churches. It will be on its own. It's a, non, it's a, it's a separate corporate entity beginning January 1st. It is separate 501c3 status, has its own board of directors, has its own organization. So it will be on its own. We'll continue to fund that. We're like an anchor church now for 99 Network until outside funding can grow, and it will continue to grow. So we have money. You can see that listed here at the top of the Faith Promise card, a couple hundred thousand dollars for that. Look what else we support through Faith Promise. We have local agencies. Asbury Seminary is my alma mater. We fund that FCA dynamic ministry here in our local community, Jeff Mosier, Blood and Fire, doing phenomenal work for decades, First Choice for Women, Interlink. Interlink's the name of our nonprofit organization uh, over which and through which we do all of our initiatives in Central Asia. That's a 30-year story here. That's Interlink. Muncie Mission, uh, One Mission Society is a mission agency in Greenfield, Indiana. We support one of our former parishioners works for them. We've, we fund them. The YOC here locally, we fund that. Next, we have missionaries. All of these missionaries have a personal relationship with me or someone in the church. We, partnership in missionaries has three requirements. We want to know them personally, have a trusting relationship. Number two, we want to share vision and values. And number three, are they doing ministry that we uh, have a common heart with? And so all of these missionaries are vetted that way. And all of them, as I say, have personal connection with people in our church, family members in our church, people who were raised in our church, folks that I know personally. And so you can see the list and what they do. Amazing stories here. If I stopped and just, we could spend all day, I could go through this list and tell you I know what these people are doing. I mean, there's Eric Nodal and Kristen. They, they're part of our church. They work at Ball State. They've been doing Athletes in Action, talking to student athletes on campus, been ministering to them for years. Phenomenal, amazing, etc. Next, we have more. All these names, again, are people we know and love and respect. all over the world. Amazing. Next. We have local and regional church plants. These are just a, a list of some of the churches that we're currently conspiring with. We fund a number of these churches. We coach, we're coaching all of these churches. They're all part of the 99 network now, and you can see these locations. Churches that we've helped plant in Muncie, Indiana. There's Ohio, Florida, those four churches in Florida we're, we're coaching and leading right now. Sarasota seems to be a, there's like a magnet to Sarasota. We have more and more people there. God seems to be drawing us there for some strategic reason. It may be related to Ukraine. Next. Colorado, Arkansas, Wyoming, California. Legacy. Legacy Church in Phoenix is pastored by a young African-American friend. His name is Justin Hamilton. Yeah, Justin, Justin has my identical personality type. Dustin, are, Dustin and I are like mirror images, only he's young and handsome and gifted. That's the only difference between the two of us. I don't believe in reincarnation, and reincarnation isn't real. It's not going to happen. But if I am reincarnated, I'm coming back as Justin. It's not going to happen, but if it does, well, 
I should bring Justin here and let him preach. I would let him come and preach. It would be just like letting Beth preach. Then I don't have a church anymore. You say, <laughs> why don't we just keep him? He's phenomenal. That church is about a year and a half old. He's already hitting 800 people in worship. Justin will pastor a church with about five to 7,500 people in it, just as sure as we're sitting here. That legacy church in Phoenix would not exist without you. If Justin, ha- Justin Hamilton is stood in front of me with tears running down his face saying, thank you, Greg, I've never met a pastor as generous as you. We would, we would never... We would never launch when we did. We wouldn't be reaching all these people if it weren't for you. I don't understand you, but I'm grateful. Can, I, can you receive that? You're responsible for that. Amazing. This, this is miracle grace. And so you see these other places. Reach United in Parkersburg. This is a, this is a recovery church. Tim Craft, he's a, he is so special. He's, he's a recovering, recovering heroin addict himself, and he is on fire for Jesus. He's reaching people by the hundreds. His whole church is nothing but people and families in recovery. Can you imagine? It's, it's, it's phenomenal. He's got, a, he's got one of those horse tanks, you know, one of those aluminum horse tanks or galvanized horse tanks. That's, where, that's how he baptizes people. Fills it up with water, dunks them. So proud of him. It's <laughs> so great. He exists because of you. And your faithfulness to give. What else you got there? More churches. Here, here you see uh, the People's Church in Belarus. Belarus is the nation just north of Ukraine. And so we have close connections with, with, a, with a pastor and a church, the People's Church in, in, in Pinkst, the city of Pinkst in Belarus. And this guy has a vision to plant 50 churches in Belarus. And... And we also have connections in Ukraine. We have, we have connections in Ukraine in our congregation. We have Ukrainians who have been displaced by the war who, who are, have moved to Muncie because of these, and are maybe in the worship today, right now. Lovely people that we're embracing in a global way. We've been doing house churches in Central Asia for 30 years, and that continues to grow. Uh, North Africa. I can't talk to you about what's happening in North Africa because of the people we know there um, the people there, if, if they're caught preaching the gospel in the nations of North Africa, some of those nations there, they will be arrested and thrown in prison or they will be martyred. You're preaching the gospel in the streets of some of the cities in North Africa, they'll shoot you dead or, or just cut your head off. Serious business. I was told that the guy that, that, we're, that we are currently funding right now in, in one of the nations of North Africa is the most effective leadership developer and church planter in that nation in North Africa among the, the hostile Islamic culture of that particular nation. And when I learned about this, this person's story, I said, how much do you need? We're, we're doing that. You are, you are funding the most effective church planter missionary in a particular nation in North Africa right now. So I hope that encourages you. That should, that should make you go home and stay awake at night. We just sent a, a guy and his family to Scotland. He said, I said, where do, you, where do you feel? You know, he grew up here at Union Chapel. What do you, what do you feel called to? I want to plant churches in Scotland. <laughs> okay. Let's go to Scotland. Next. These are all of the... The, the, the prisons across the country that we confirm absolutely, positively, we've planted churches inside of those prisons. In partnership with Nick Vujicic, Life Without Limbs, and Jay Harvey, we share Jay Harvey. We pay half of Jay Harvey's salary. Nick Vujicic pays the other half. We partner, and Jay goes around. Nick goes into these prisons, preaches the gospel. Jay comes in, follows it up, finds pastoral leaders within the prison population and says, we're going to train you. You're the new leader. We're going to plant a church and you're going to be the pastor in the prison. How cool is that? Amazing strategies. In the morning, I'm going to meet with a pastor from Fort Wayne, Indiana, who has a heart to plant churches in all the counties that don't have his, his style of church in Indiana. And he wants to know more about the 99 network. In two weeks, I'll be meeting with another denominational official overseeing a guy who's planning a church who's now in our network. 
The ne- we've, we've just met a new friend in Tampa, Florida, who wants to be part of the, the 99 Network. He's a young pastor. He's, he's already pastoring 800 people in a five-year-old church in Tampa and has already launched eight other churches, multiplying churches. He said, I want to be part of the 99 Network. We can cross-pollinate. This thing is growing exponentially. This is what I'm going to be doing when I'm not doing this. This is unusual grace. These services have gone too long. <laughs> Here's point number two. What we learned from 2 Corinthians 8 is an offering is to be completed with one year in one year. So we do this faith promise in a calendar year starting January 1. Number three on the screen, an offering to be carefully administered. This is how we administer it. So just to, just to say to you again, if you don't contribute to faith promise, and 80% of you don't, if you don't contribute to faith promise, you're not, you're not funding any of the things I've just described. This is all designated giving. It's all restricted giving. You designate to faith promise, and the things that we promise that we're going to spend that money doing, that's exactly what we will do. Every penny of it, without exception. It's all restricted. And so if you want to be part of this global activity, amazing, miraculous activity through the life of our church, you have to participate in faith promise. And why wouldn't you? What's the worst thing that can happen? God, I trust you for $100 this year in faith promise, and you can't pay it. So what? No one's keeping a record of this. It's, it's about your relationship with God, and that's it. Everyone should participate. There is no good reason why everyone shouldn't exercise your faith and start an adventure to discover that God will honor his promises, and he will meet you and extend his grace to you. So next week, we will collect these cards. You can take this with you, grab one. Of course, you tear off the top. We'll do that next week. So take the week, your homework is to pray about this and come up with a number by faith that you'll promise to give as God supplies it. Did you get it? Okay, now see, we can't sing a song. We're out of time. You have to get out of here. There are people trying to get in. So stand up with me and I'll do the benediction. When you leave, tell them it's phenomenal. You won't believe how great this is today. Stuff like that. Okay, are you ready? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace.